Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Well, we're going to continue our study. We have made it to Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, and it's the first plague. Who remembers what that first plague is? Water into blood. And, you know, I believe there's some really cool stuff. But last week we had Pastor Gerardo fill in while uh, the men were at the retreat. And what he talked about, I just want to remind you, he really expanded on one of the most impactful verses, I believe, that's in the Bible. And he did it through sharing his testimony. So it is up online if you want to see it. But it's Philippians 1.6. For I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it or complete it until the day of Christ. And what is the day of Christ? It's also known as the day of the Lord. The day of Christ, the day of the Lord, it begins with what? The rapture, the blessed hope. Oh man, it's so amazing that he will hold you and keep you till the rapture. Isn't that great? That even when you fail him, he's going to bring you back. The day of the Lord begins with the rapture. It lasts for a little over a thousand years. It ends with the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. And praise God that he loves us this morning, and he's going to complete the work in you. Thank you, Pastor Gerardo. And if you missed it, it's up on our uh, website. So I would encourage you to watch it. He he shares his testimony as well. This morning, we're uh, going to get into the promises of God to Abraham, and God told Abraham, I'm going to give your descendants the promised land. Now, remember, they've been in slavery for what? Over 400 years in Egypt. They lacked faith in God. They didn't believe that God could do it. Moses didn't even believe it. But now, where we're at in our text, Moses finally has become a man of faith. And he's going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt after God pours out these 10 plagues. Review the plagues really quick. Uh, we know what they are. The first one uh, actually is, here, here we go. All right, there we go. That's what I want to do. Water into blood. Now, it's interesting. What's Christ's first miracle? Water into wine. You know, Moses represents the law, and in Deuteronomy we're told that a prophet like Moses will be raised up. And who is that prophesying about? Jesus Christ. He represents the new covenant. So we have the old covenant turning water into blood, and the old covenant is all about blood sacrifice. You see, in the old covenant, in the Old Testament, when you committed a sin, what would you have to do? Hey, you would have to take a dove or a couple of doves or some really good bottle of wine that you had aging down in your cellar to the temple or even one of your prized lambs with no blemish that you were saving for a great feast. Uh, You would have to take it and sacrifice that uh, to God to cover your sin. Now, I don't know about you, but if I lived back then, I wouldn't want to sin very often because I only had so many lambs and I only had so much wine, a drink offering, and I only had so many birds, I probably had to even catch them. It's pretty hard to catch a bird. Anyone ever set a bird trap and catch it? 
oh man, it's so fun. You know, you put, you put food and crumbs and you get a box, you put a stick and then you run a string over there and you hide and you wait for the birds to go in there and get the crumbs and then you pull it and yeah, then you can eat them. Well, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't eat them. It's, but I don't know about you, in the Old Testament, every time you sinned, you would have to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. I think you would think twice before sinning too often in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. In the New, Christ is our perpetual sacrifice. He is the one that paid for our sins, and that is why so many Christians are flippant when it comes to sin. What am I talking about? Hey, man, his grace is sufficient. I can sin all I want. There's no sacrifice, but the greatest sacrifice was given for your sin, and that's Jesus Christ. We should be aware of that. The second plague is frogs, but the first one, Moses and Aaron performed it. They used a rod. The magicians, remember in Pharaoh's court, we're going to read about it. They, they copied that same exact miracle. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that strange. They only copied two of the miracles, two of the plagues, the water to blood and the frogs. The rest they couldn't do. But it's amazing that they could even do those, and we're going to talk about that. Israel was protected through uh, several of the plagues, but the first three, it doesn't say they were protected. They might have had to endure the itchy lice and the frogs running through their camp and obviously the water to blood. Pharaoh, man, he didn't start softening his heart until the frogs, and we're going to get there, but after the frogs, he said, man, if you beseech God and he gets rid of the frogs, man, I'll let you go. Does Pharaoh let him go? No. Oh, no, he doesn't. Later on, he will. Now, here's what's interesting. The first plague, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. The second plague, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. The third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth plague, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we found out in the Hebrew that that hardening was solidifying a position already held by the person. I mean, it was very clear. God didn't say, I'm going to harden his heart and remove his free will so that he can't choose to let my people go. No, all it did, I solidified his position that he's already hard. Does that make sense? And we talked about that in depth. Right. The plagues versus the God of Egypt, we went over this, but each plague addresses a different God of Egypt. It is God letting the Egyptians know that I am Yahweh. I am the creator of the universe. I'm stronger and more powerful than your so-called gods. When we went through this, we said, if there's anything in your life that has become a God, God will begin to get that out of your life. Don't forget about that. He will do that. So turn to Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. And today we're just going to look at water into blood. When you think of blood, what do you think of? Life force. Any of you like when you see blood? It's like, oh, man, man, you know, ugh, gross. Am I the only one? Okay. Now, can you imagine if all the water in the land, and when we read it, we're going to find out even the water in the, the vessels in their house turned to blood. I mean, all the water in the land of Egypt turned to blood. It was unclean, and the Egyptians, by the way, were a very clean and sanitary people. They would shave most of their hair. They would wash and bathe often. 
And so this plague was very offensive to them. Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, Then the Lord said to, to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile. And you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. And remember when it's all capitals, that's what? The Tetragrammaton, that's Yahweh. This is the name of God the Father. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned to blood. The fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul, and the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, over the streams, over their pools, and their reservoirs of water that they may become blood and uh, there will be blood throughout the land of Egypt both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone literally all the water is going to turn to blood I don't know about you have you ever turned on your faucet and the brown junk comes out have you ever had that happen to you I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't even drink that water. You know, we, we can run to the store and get bottled water. But for the Egyptians, there was going to be blood throughout the land. Now, remember the extra biblical evidence that we found of this plague. It was in the papyri, and it said that there is blood throughout the land of Egypt. The Nile has turned to blood. The fish are dying. I really think it's cool that we found extra biblical evidence in archaeology that establishes one of the plagues. Remember, only three of the plagues were mentioned in that scroll. Does that mean they all didn't happen? Oh, no. They just probably wrote the most significant plagues that occurred. Continue on. Verse 20. So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the water that was in the Nile turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile and the Nile became foul, died, and the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. This first miracle, public miracle that Moses did is contrasted by Christ's first miracle. I don't know about you, but I find it very interesting that the very first miracle Jesus Christ performed was at a wedding, at a celebration, turning water into wine. Do you remember the story? Why don't we read it really quick? Turn to John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. John chapter 2, starting at verse 1, and we read this. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour 
has not yet come. Who, what's his hour? Yeah, well, well, when he finally dies, absolutely, it's pointing to that. But this would begin his public ministry, but his hour, his death on the cross, hadn't come yet. Because what does he do? Let's continue. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were six stone uh, water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 to 30 gallons each. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of wine right? I mean, he's going to turn all of that into wine. 30 gallons each, and there's six of them. That's a lot of gallons of wine. <laughs> wonder how long that lasted him. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out and now take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, did they really believe? No, we know even after he's crucified, they don't believe. It's not until later, finally, they see him resurrected and Christ does what to the disciples? He breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit because now they believed. Do you know the minute you believe, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit? Isn't that cool? Now, think about the contrast. The first public miracle Moses did was turning water into what? Blood. Yeah. Moses, water into blood, representing the law. The law is all about blood and sacrifice and death. In fact, we, uh, Paul writes, the law kills, but the Spirit, what? Gives life. But Christ's first miracle, in contrast to Moses, was water into wine because the new covenant is all about life and grace and mercy and joy that only comes from him. Folks, if you lack joy this morning, run to the Lord. If you lack joy and peace and contentment, run to the Lord Jesus Christ because he will hold you through any trial that you'll face. We're going to find that during the plagues, God did protect the children of Israel in the land of Goshen. So when darkness hit all the land of the Egyptians, guess what? Bible says there was light in Goshen, where the sons of Israel were. We're promised that even through the plagues and the adversities of life, God will hold us. Isn't that amazing? And a great promise. The last time Jesus Christ will conduct a feast the last time in, in our state, right after the rapture of the church, will be at the Bema seat, right? What will Jesus do there for the first time that he hasn't done since he enacted communion? He's going to drink wine in Revelation chapter 19, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I don't know about you, but I just find it really interesting that Moses, the law represents blood, but Christ represents life and joy. Verse 22, back in Exodus chapter 7. <coughs> but the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord 
had said. Now, there's been speculation on how the Egyptians could turn water into blood. Now, have you ever seen magicians, you know, they'll have a pitcher of water and then they pour it out and it turns to some color or something like that? Have you seen that? It could be sleight of hand like that, but we know in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 8, that when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to perform false signs and wonders by the power of Satan. Could it be that Satan actually had the uh, magicians turn the water into blood? It could be. Could it be sleight of hand? Absolutely. The weird part is they could mimic that and note this, the enemy always mimics what God does. In fact, most cults and most false religions, they're about 80% really good stuff, true stuff about God, and about 15 to 20% really bad stuff that take away the deity of Christ, take away who Jesus Christ is, and take away the price that Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary and even the resurrection. Verse 23, Then Pharaoh turned and went into his house with no concern even for this, verse 24, so all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So for a week, they have to dig for water around the Nile River because all the water is blood. I don't know about you, but that would be gross. <laughs> and for the Egyptians, it was doubly gross. Yet Pharaoh still hardened his heart. The plagues were signs that Yahweh was God. Every plague, God was declaring to the Egyptians, I am the God of the universe. I am the one true God. Stop serving those false gods and trying to get Pharaoh to let the Egyptians go. The miracles of Christ were signs that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's the contrast. The plagues were all about usually bad things, pointing out that there was a God in heaven. The miracles of Christ were always good things, turning water into wine, restoring sight to the blind, raising the dead. Everything Christ did was about life. In fact, he said, I came to give you life and that more what? Abundantly. But the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And he steals your joy and your peace, first of all. Then he'll kill your relationships with God first and then all of these relationships. He will destroy them and eventually he will try to get you to destroy yourself. First plague, water into blood. The first miracle, water into wine. The first sacrament is the last plague, the Passover. The last sacrament, Jesus turns wine back into blood. Now think about that. Why did Christ at Passover turn wine into blood? Did it really turn into blood? Catholics believe it did. What do they call that? Transubstantiation. Transubstantiation that the, the bread and the wine literally become the body and blood of Christ. Now, it appears to be symbolic, right? I mean, Jesus did say, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in the kingdom of heaven. But notice this kind of idea here. We have water and the blood. That's all about law and death and covering sin. Then we have water into wine, the first miracle of Christ. That's all about the living water that Jesus Christ gives us that gives joy in the midst of our heart. 
And then the, la the first feast, the first sacrament was Passover, and that was death of the firstborn. And the last sacrament, that was Passover, but Christ said, I am the one that's going to die, and he turns the wine symbolically into blood. That will be a cleansing, not a covering. With the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus brought forth wine again. It's really interesting. This, in effect, gives us wine bookends of his ministry. His first miracle, water into wine at a wedding. His last um, ordinance that he gave to the church, communion, utilizing wine. The first thing that happens when we're raptured, there's a feast in heaven. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, and Christ will drink wine again for the first time. How do we know that? Matthew 26, 29, right after communion, and we had communion this morning, it says, But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Isn't that going to be a great feast? Can you imagine that Christ is fasting from wine for over 2,000 years? Because that is a symbol of the new covenant, the joy of the Lord. The marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9, is where that will take place. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day at that banqueting table with the Lord. So the law is blood, and grace, the new covenant, is wine. And it's very interesting that blood is always about death and payment for sin. When Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, what happened? What did God have to do? He's, he had to kill an animal, shed its blood so that he could make clothing for them. Moses, in representing the law, it was mainly about blood. But Christ representing the new free gift of God, it's all about grace. In fact, grace means unmerited favor. Getting what you don't deserve, it is the gift of God. You know, wine is a gift of God, too. In Psalm 104, 14, he says, He causes the grass to grow for cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that they may bring forth food from the earth and wine which make, makes man's heart glad so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food that sustains a man's heart. So many Christians today have lost the joy of the Lord. In fact, I talk to a lot of Christians that are just frustrated with life and the only joy they find in life is doing things of the world have you ever talked to christians like that no more joy in their heart this morning i really believe that god wants to restore the joy of your salvation blood is about death jeremiah 31 11 through 14 you can read that later if you're taking notes but it's all about man in the last days my people, man, I'm going to restore their joy. There's going to be singing in Zion. Oh, the young women will dance with the timbrel. The young men and the old men will celebrate with wine and with feasting before the Lord. The turning of water to blood culminated in the firstborn of Egypt being delivered to death. The turning of water into wine culminated in the death of the firstborn, Jesus Christ, delivered on the cross. You see, it's almost bookends that we can see one author wrote this Bible. It's called Expositional Consistency. The plagues resulted in the freedom of Israel, but the miracles of Jesus resulted in our freedom and freedom for all who would simply believe 
on him. This morning is our time of prayer, so the message will be cut short so we can pray. But one of the theme verses here at Living Water is Isaiah 55. Why don't we turn there really quick? Isaiah chapter 55, starting at verse 1. Any of you from Texas or Oklahoma, have you ever said yeehaw? Now, has anybody ever said yeehaw? I used to say it all the time because where I grew up, everyone was from Texas. It was an oil field town. And so in Bible college in Costa Mesa, everything that cool that happened was like yeehaw, you know. Sometimes I'd run if I got an A down into the quad and just yell at the top of my lungs. You can probably picture me doing this. Yeehaw! And everybody's looking out there going, oh, it's just bread. Oh, my goodness. Wow, he needs help. <laughs> but I would do it. So this first word in Isaiah 55, 1, ho, that's, that's yeehaw. I mean, the, the proper, no, seriously, it, it's not ho like you're riding a horse, but it's the proper English translation of this word from the Hebrew is yeehaw. I know it really is. You could cross out ho and write that because that's what it means. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. What's he saying there? Man, in the new covenant, he's going to supply milk. That's your sustenance. That's what you need for health. And he's going to provide wine. That's the joy that gladdens your heart. You know, the legalism of so many Christians today robs people of the joy of the Lord. Does that make sense? Folks, Christ has set us free from the law. In fact, most of the laws that are legalistic are man-made. Continue on. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Folks, believe me, that new tech toy, it'll only be fun for a couple of weeks and then you'll need another one. <laughs> Is there a mirror right here? No. <laughs> Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in the abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. According to the faithful mercies shown to David, behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation who you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you because the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified him. Verse 6, and this is the key for this morning. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I am so grateful that God is a God of mercy and compassion, and he is a celebrant God. Amen? We, together like we did with Kevin and Katie yesterday, helping them move. The whole church rallied. How, how long did it take us to load, Kevin? An hour and a half. 
hour and a half, and we were unloaded. The whole thing was like, what, three hours, three and a half hours? It was pretty quick. Yeah, why? Because we came together as a church family, united body, and did something for a member of our body. You know, the Bible says when one hurts, what? We all hurt. And when one rejoices, we all rejoice. That's the advantage of a small church. Folks, if you need something, the whole church is here to rally. We is all about God, our church, and us. But somehow, I don't know about you, life gets in the way, and all of a sudden I become focused on what? Instead of we, it's me. You ever do that? You know, it becomes all about me. Woe is me. Nobody gets me. I'm all alone in this. You ever feel that? No one loves me. Me, me, me. You know, me is we flipped upside down. You know that. No, it really is. It's like a mirror image. There you go. That's what it looks like. So we need to think we, that's first of all, us and God. Are you with me? Include God in your life. How did Moses have the courage to go to Pharaoh? Because he trusted God. He trusted God. He partnered with God, not me. We need to do that. So God kept Israel through the plagues. Just a few verses. We've got three minutes. Exodus 8.22, But on the day I will set apart the land of Goshen. I love that. You know what Goshen means in the Hebrew? It means to draw near. What does the New Covenant say about drawing near to the Lord? Oh, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. All you have to do is run to the Lord this morning. Where my people are living so the swarms of flies will uh, be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord your God. God's going to protect Israel, we'll find next week from this plague. Exodus 9.26, only in the land of Goshen, the sons of Israel, there was no hail. There was hail all over the land of Egypt except where God's people dwelt. They did not see one another, Exodus 10, 23, there was darkness, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. In fact, the Egyptians couldn't even light a torch. This morning, the question is, do you have that light shining bright in you? Do you have the love of the Lord shining in your heart? The choices are of blood or wine, death or life. I don't know about you, but I would choose wine in life. The first miracle of Christ. Israel was seeing God's protection through the trials. They were filled with faith and joy as they knew God was going to deliver them and sustain them. Now, obviously, they're going to cross the Red Sea, and what happens? Immediately, they begin to grumble. Bring us back to Egypt. But for now, they're seeing God's divine hand in their life. Isn't that neat? Joe, why don't you come on up? Jamie? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we know the verse. I want to read this verse to you. It's Zephaniah 3.17 while they set up. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. Think about that. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. The Lord loves you this morning. He wants to do miracles in your life. And believe me, if you're on the wrong path, plagues will be coming. You know what I'm talking about? 
You know, the Bible says you reap what you sow. I want to end with some hellfire and brimstone. Is that all right? <laughs> you have two choices today. If you're on the wrong path in rebellion against God, plagues will begin to come. But if you're on the right path, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, man, he's going to turn water into wine. You can have a celebrant, joy-filled life, or you can have a life of heartache and sorrow, and the choice is yours. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things, all your needs will be met. He'll go before you miraculously. And restores my soul, satisfies my Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. Satisfies my needs